Hello, my name is Julia Streets and welcome to Diversity Podcast, talking about equity, inclusion and diversity in financial services. On the podcast, we seek to shine a light on positive progress, call out areas requiring further focus and offer lots of ideas to help drive change. And before we get started today, I just want to take a moment to thank our friends at City AM who have given Diversity Podcast a new home at Impact AM, their pages dedicated to ESG, impact investment, DE&I, and a lot more. We really appreciate that they publish and promote both our episodes and our supporting blog series so that their readers can stay right on top of the very latest diversity, equity, and inclusion debate. Thank you to City AM. Now, I'm really looking forward to this episode because I'm joined by two guests, David Goldenkrantz and Simeon Greaves. And let me just introduce them to you. After working as an educator for 10 years, serving marginalized youth and BIPOC, which is Black, Indigenous and people of color communities, David Goldenkrantz transitioned into a full-time career as a DE&I facilitator, coach and consultant, working to eliminate structural, institutional and systemic barriers within organizations. He serves as the Ally Engagement Programme Manager at the Technology Access Foundation, and he works with white leaders in education to embrace anti-racist and culturally responsive practices in their school environments. And as a white man himself, he also embraces ongoing self-discovery, self-development and growth, recognising both privilege and biases. David, it's great to have you on the show. Thanks for being with us. Thank you. I'm honoured to be here, Juliet. I'm so looking forward to the discussion because it's a great pleasure to welcome Welcome our second guest on the show today, Simeon Greaves. Simeon is a wealth manager at Coots, helping high net worth and ultra high net worth European clients bring long lasting purpose to their wealth. He's also passionate about driving an inclusive culture for minority groups. He's a key member of the Coots LGBTQ network. And as the campaign and events lead for the Wealth Multicultural Network, Simeon runs a team to create and implement internal and external inclusivity campaigns. So Simeon, it's great to have you with us. Thanks for being on the show. Thank you, really excited to be here. So gentlemen, look, I'm really curious. I'm very keen to know what you're up to right now. David, can I come to you first? So right now my uh, MO is being a new father, enjoying the 2 a.m. (laughs) wake-ups. You know, what am I doing professionally, personally invested in? Really focusing right now on the intersectionality between gender and race, um, and specifically looking at uh, a book that I've been working on now for about four years. Um, and I'm currently trying to get agents and get this book uh, some some uh, traction. So I've been putting a lot of energy and focus into trying to uh, get this book out. Wonderful. Well, listen, you must let us know when it comes out. Can you give us any insights into what it's about? Uh, it is called um, white male privilege how did this happen and why it's even worse than we thought and it's really talking about the intersection between how how we got here in america specifically looking at again race gender and the impact it's had and what we're going to need to do if we're going to try to turn around the current status quo well i'm sure some of that will come out in our discussion today for sure but please do let us know when it when it comes out we'd love our listeners to be able to access a copy as well Sylvia, can i ask you the same question what's your focus right now 
Yeah, absolutely. A few things. I think one thing which is really high on my agenda is around responsible investing as well. And, and having conversations with my clients is a huge growth area for, for us as a business um, in terms of some of the net zero targets that we have in our funds and portfolios and really making sure that we're holding ourselves to account around that. But I think in, in the other part of my role as the events and campaigns manager for the Wealth Multicultural Network, a couple of things that I'm super focused on right now are um, the, so the power of black wealth, which was our 2022 theme for Black History Month, where we focused on um, entrepreneurs um, with a specific focus on the fact that historically, you know, businesses um, with minority ethnic founders are you know, severely underfunded and actually drawing attention to that fact and starting to think about, you know, what the role of financial institutions can be in starting to level that playing field was something that was really exciting. So what I'm focused on now is really trying to kick that into overdrive with the team on that side of things. And then also in, in my role within the LGBTQ plus network, I'm starting to think about how we can talk more around queerness in the workplace as well. There's a lot in that we're really keen to, to sort of unpack. And, and when we think about the um, the conversation about inclusion, it's really wonderful to have both of you on the show. So this is clearly something you think about very, very keenly. Um, I suppose one of the questions that comes up a lot, and, I, and I've been doing a, so much around the fifth anniversary, uh, particularly about male role models, male inclusion, and uh, there's sort of this question about space for white men as we increasingly have a discussion about race which is, for me, a fascinating sort of starting point for our discussion as well. And Simeon, I wonder if I could come to you on this, first of all, um, you know, about, about this, the very nature of this discussion. Is that something that you come across and, and you know, how do we pay attention to what's going on at the moment? Yeah, I think it's a fantastic question. It's something that I've had many conversations about within the Wealth Multicultural Network, but also across the business within uh, which I work with some of our senior leaders and, and, and managers and people just throughout the business in general. It's quite a delicate topic sometimes because you kind of want to bring people along the journey with you. You don't want to necessarily alienate anyone in that respect. But I think there are other things that we need to be paying attention to, to some extent. I think somewhere there's a bit of a red herring. I think we have seen quite a lot of progress generally. I think ultimately we're not seeing... Um, as much of an echo chamber of the same voices. And I feel like the proliferation um, of digital media has really helped that as well. There's definitely more people that have a voice, which I think is fantastic. But I think when we're thinking about, you know, white middle-aged men becoming an increasing minority, potentially, I think actually the reason why it's a bit of a red herring is because you've got to focus on where the power resides. I think that's the most important thing. And I, I think bringing back to my role, as I say, within the Wealth Multicultural Network, you know, I have a lot of influence within the bank. I've created so many things with the team around me. It's so, so exciting, but I don't have that final sign off. I still have to identify which stakeholders I need to engage with to achieve that buy-in to get that sign off. And I think that's why it's important to think about that kind of concentration of power. I think a multitude of voices to some extent can give an impression of an increasing minority of, of white men, but actually I think it's just really important not to conflate it. I think at the heart of it, there is still very much a status quo. I think particularly when you look at financial services as well, um, white middle-aged men are predominantly the board members, the senior execs, the management. So whilst when you walk into the doors of you know, beautiful glass building, the workplace might look more diverse at a face value, 
it's important to remember, I feel that, you know, racism generally is power plus prejudice. So you've got to really think about that power element and think about the fact that actually, okay, well, yes, this is what the organisation looks like at base value, but how is that distributed across all of these different levels as well? well I think let, let's let's stay on that point because I think that's, that's really important. And bring in David, I'd love to hear your points of view about this because when we think about the concept of allyship and also about role models, and particularly from a white man's perspective, where the power sits, exactly as Simeon is saying, is, you know, and I talk a lot on the podcast about enlightened leadership. Really keen to hear your thoughts about where you're seeing positive change in those positions of power to recognise um, what Simeon was just talking about in terms of driving change and, and on, a, on a wide scale. Yeah, I think uh, Simeon hit on a lot around, I think, the, the comment, too, around the glass buildings and this idea of where when you come in and you see really who is um, traditionally in charge. Um, oftentimes, I like to kind of point out this idea that I, I really can't stress this enough, that white men are the gatekeepers in our society. And whether that's in financial sector, whether that's in education, whether that's in politics, white men are the gatekeepers. And so there's always this question of what can white men be doing to open the gate? But then more importantly is asking, well, why is there a gate here in the first place? Who put this gate here? Does this fence even need to be here? Because when we think about, say, like women's suffrage, right, it was up to white men at some point to concede the right to vote for women in the United States. It was never up to women. Women had to fight for it and push for it. But at some point, white men were in the position to actually like hand over that. And unfortunately, that has been the status quo on so many elements of power in society across the board. That is essentially what colonialism is in so many levels of it's just consolidated power. And so especially in the financial management sector, when we look at, say, even institutions like philanthropy, that is wealth that has been amassed, accumulated, and then is being distributed as white men see fit, um, just to call a spade a spade. Um, and that has started to shift. And fortunately, obviously, we're seeing a much higher presence of LGBTQ folks coming into this um, industry, as well as, you know, women and just there is a huge, um, but we're still lacking a lot on folks of color. You know, if you think about even in the United States, I think it's 1%, less than 1% are indigenous folks when it comes to the financial sector, as far as philanthropy is concerned, which is kind of abhorrent when you consider that all of the wealth and the entire country itself was owned by those people. So what is it then that has allowed that for white men to get in that place? It was taking it. Um, so I think we ultimately need white men to be acknowledging their role as the gatekeepers and to really think about what it's going to take to actually physically start to get out of the way <laughs> um, when it comes to these, you know, practices of hoarding. And, you know, I think that just to give a couple of you know, examples, there's different folks, right? You've got people who are in political leadership or influence. Um, and that is sort of the one type, right? Is it somebody saying, here I am as a leader? What can I do to actually lead for change? Um, then you've got white men who are specifically committed to DE&I work like myself, where it's really about leading other white folks on this journey and having these conversations and going into organizations and helping some of these leaders recognize that. But you've also got everyday white men, right? These are folks who just work within any organization or just in any situation where they are in a position such as myself to leverage an opportunity to name something, to call something out, to bring something to the table that maybe, say, a person of color 
or somebody who is marginalized in any identity simply cannot because their voice will not be heard, it will not be received, it will not be listened to. So, Simeon, really keen to hear your thoughts on this. Yeah, I completely agree. I think with what Dave is talking about in terms of gatekeepers, I think some of the things you were saying about, you know, look, does the fence even need to be here? I think is totally right. I think ultimately you do need to make space for other people. It's I, I heard someone speak about this actually in a conversation that I was having with a group the other day and someone was talking about the fact that it's someone else's turn to eat. And I think that's a really good turn of phrase in terms of thinking about the fact that, well, you know, the status quo has been maintained at this level for generations and generations. And, you know, structures have been in place to oppress people and to keep people in a certain position and to keep people actually silent for generations and generations. So it definitely is someone else's turn to eat. I think coming full circle, I guess, back to something that I mentioned at the beginning, though, whilst I think I entirely agree with everything that David has said, I think sometimes you also have to be relatively delicate with it. And the reason why I say that is because of what I was saying about bringing people along on the journey. Some things, some things need to be said. Some conversations need to be had in a really unadulted way. And frankly, to be honest, to get that message across. But sometimes it's also thinking about what the bigger goal is here. And actually what David was talking about in terms of, you know, white people and white men specifically being a part of solving the problem. In order to do that, you've got to have someone on your side as well. So that's, that's what I'd add. One thing that I really think that Simeon's touching on is this idea of really decentering whiteness and decentering patriarchy is really important when it comes to how we have these conversations and how do we start to remove the central voice and the central position as always being given to white men. I really feel we could have an entire podcast on this very, very conversation, but I, so I want to take full advantage of having you both on the show because you, you have such sort of uh, complementary, but also slightly different points of view. And it's something you you mentioned earlier, Simeon, about, you know, the conversation about being queer in the industry and the LGBTQ plus uh, sort of point of view as well. And as listeners will know, you know, I'm an openly gay woman in the city. I've sort of had my journey as well. I'm really keen to hear your thoughts about how, um, how, how things are evolving from your point of view in terms of how people identify within the industry and also what you see organisations doing to make um, their firms safe spaces to be. From my perspective within the business that I'm in, I do a lot of work on the ground within the network and you know whilst sometimes it's quite hard to collate some of the hard data around numbers across the business due to regulation around special categories of personal data etc there's a lot of work that's done in terms of taking the pulse or the temperature as to how people are feeling where people are voluntarily you know declaring you know what their sexuality is or gender identity etc but i think one of the things that i noticed um along with the team that i work with is around a, a part of the population within the business that quite quite prefer not to say and I think you know to your question around making organizations safe spaces to be out for me that would suggest as though not necessarily exclusively but there might be a part of the population who don't necessarily feel as though they can bring their full selves to work and I think that that creates a concern that creates an opportunity obviously for, for change to happen as well and engagement but I think there's definitely something that that needs to be done there I think um but I think there is change. I think there are an increasing amount of people, you know, more widely outside of the business externally across the industry that are more comfortable bringing their full selves to work in terms of their queerness. I think it's also generational as well. I was reading um, Stonewall's uh, Rainbow Britain report, which came out in 2022, and it talked about, um, you know, I think it's 71% of Gen Z identifying as straight versus 91% of baby boomers. So there is definitely a degree of, 
of change there to some extent where people might not feel that, that they need to necessarily suppress um, their sexuality or their gender identity to the same extent. But equally, we don't live in a perfect world. I think organisations have started to do a lot more and are doing a lot more, whether that be in terms of policies, whether that be not supporting pride in a way which is extremely surface level, to be honest. I think all you have to do is take a look at um, social media during the month of June to see lots of things um, which seem um, very gimmicky and very performative in terms of their support for the community. I think a lot of organisations are starting to go deeper, but we're just not quite there yet. I think we've got, and maybe we can touch upon this um, in a moment as well, but we've just got to get a little bit deeper as well. And I think that's one of the things that I'm trying to do as well in order to make our organisation a safer space for people to be out, for people not to want to put that quote unquote, prefer not to stay, prefer not to say rather. Um, and it's about making space for talking about queerness. I think we, we have less issues speaking about what it means to be gay or lesbian or bisexual, et cetera. But I think what people sometimes um, within our business struggle with is the idea of queerness. And I, I actually used the words with someone um, the other day and they kind of flinched now that they're probably a little bit old, you know, they're a little bit older than me. They come from a, a different generation where actually that word was used as a slur. But obviously there's a conversation to be had there around that word being repurposed, that word actually being power within the LGBT community as well, and actually that being an umbrella term. And I think, you know, there's a fantastic quote um, that Bell Hooks talks about, you know, queerness, not about being around, you know, who you have sex with, but about it being um, about the self that's at odds with everything around it. And I found that beautiful. And it's about, you know, that self finding space to kind of thrive and, and be happy, really. And I think it's about kind of reframing that in, in terms of organisations. But I think there's, there's a lot more to be done around language. That's that work has started. But I think what, what organisations need to do is encourage difference in their policies, is encourage individuality. And most of all, I think, be critical. And for me, this is where the next phase comes in and, and kind of coming full circle back to what I said in terms of what I'm focusing on this year is questioning what we deem to be normal or neutral or professional. Deconstructing those ideas there, I think, is very important. And that feeds into a ton of things. Um, dress code being, being an example as well, which feeds into all of that sort of stuff. So yeah, that's what I would say around, you know, how institutions are kind of trying to make those organisations safe spaces to be out. And it's really fascinating listening to you talk there because uh, I sort of have this other frame in my mind of other discussions I've been having about the power of intersectionality, where we begin to look at other networks and other lived experiences. And I, I know it's, it's an interesting question. I wondered, David, if I could, could put this to you, which is if you, if you began to think about it in terms of parallels, if you took the experience of a white gay man versus a heterosexual man from an ethnic minority, what could we learn? I think there's a lot to learn when we look at parallels of oppression. I think especially when it's sort of taken from this insider-outsider model um, is one thing you oftentimes heard it in the DEI, DEI industry. Um, also, I hate that term, just DE&I and industry. Those things shouldn't be <laughs> sandwiched together. <laughs> this is heart work. It's head work, but it's not. Yes. So I just want to name that. <laughs> um, 
there are certainly parallels when it comes to being an outsider, period, um, in the sense of not being able to show up as one's authentic self, not really knowing if people are on your side, if people have your back, if people are judging you, if people are labeling you. Um, th those are all very true things for anybody who is marginalized or put as positions as an outsider. I do want to be careful, though, just to say that, you know, there is definitely something different about how somebody... Um, say a white man is going to show up in terms of what parts of themselves they maybe can disclose more or less of say than a person of color coming into a workspace that's not a matter of disclosure that's that's them being perceived as whoever they are in that physical realm um and so there is that one piece i want to name um but that said i do think that it's really a powerful um leverage point for white men to start to build that empathy and compassion in those spaces, particularly when you have folks who do end up in pretty powerful positions, you know, and, and especially in the US, like, there are a lot of gay men, a lot of queer men, um, a lot of bisexual men who are in very powerful roles in the financial sector who have made, you know, top living, top earning, um, and are embraced and accepted. That said, um, there is certainly still so much stigma and so much attachment. You know, I think it's not a coincidence that in the United States, you know, same-sex marriage and interracial marriage are being talked about on the same political ballot in the same bills. I mean, and this is the 21st century, and we're still at a point where those things are almost being used interchangeably in how they're being analyzed. So to me, that speaks a lot to how that is sort of evaluated and looked at in the workplace as the sense that there is still an old boys club. There's still the boys club, right? And how people show up in heteronormative cisgender elements of whether it's you go play golf on the weekends or you go out to the bar after work. There are certain elements that whether you're a woman, a person of color, or somebody who identifies as queer, it just doesn't, it's not going to feel as safe or welcoming to be a part of or be, you know, thrust into those situations or scenarios where you just don't know how other people are perceiving you and what parts of yourself you're really able to share and be transparent about. Simeon, would you like to come in here? I'd love to, because I think that was a fantastic point. I think particularly around the old boys club, I think that's something which is obviously very much, the, you know, financial services as an industry, particularly in the UK, has that um, history to it. And I think to some extent, we'll get to a better place when people don't necessarily feel as much that they, that they need to conform to that standard necessarily. And I think actually, you know, to some degree, some people might feel that they need to be more palatable or have a closer proximity to being towards that status quo in order to be able to fit in, in order to be able to, to progress within an organization and generally within an industry and I think that ties into this idea of heteronormativity as well um you know a, a lot of queer people don't live in heteronormative lifestyle necessarily um and actually I think we'll get to a much better place in the future where that difference that individuality is accepted um and actually you don't necessarily need to live a heteronormative lifestyle you could be someone who is you know gender non-conforming in a polyamorous relationship and actually that's not going to be something which is going to completely other you from any sort of discussions or, and you know any kind of rooms which actually might be really fruitful for your progression in the future I have to say this is an incredibly thoughtful conversation. It's 
it's really helpful hearing both your points of view, but also where, where they align and also where, where they differ. I think this is a great moment to bring in our colleague Cynthia Akinsania for some research to support today's discussion. In the 2021 Financial Times article on workplace diversity and equity, the FT analysed anonymised data on the demographics of 3.6 million staff across 13,000 financial services employers in the US from 2007 to 2018. Black staff accounted for 13% of all financial staff and are the sector's biggest ethnic minority. But in the most senior jobs, they are the only demographic whose share fell from 2007 to 2018. The drop is from 2.87% to 2.62%. The research was conducted before the pandemic, so it will be interesting to see what the updated research will be. So our thanks as always to Cynthia for the research and let's just take a few moments if I may to remind everybody how to find Diverse City Podcast and the links to research can be found on our website which is diversecitypodcast.com where you can find all our episodes and sign up for early notifications of future recordings. Do also sign up for our newsletter DE&I that caught our eye where we share news stories and updates so you can stay on top of what's current. Please do follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook and LinkedIn and Diversity podcast is available on Bright's Talk, Spotify, and all good podcast channels, wherever you get your podcasts. And by the way, um, we'd love a rating. We're so proud that we are a five-star rated show because it does help to extend our reach and also to support our guests. Um, I'm, really, I'm really keen if we could just pivot the conversation slightly, and I'm really curious to get your thoughts on what we think the future of work looks like. You know, we recognise that a number of women have left the industry uh, of late, and uh, in this whole conversation about male patriarchy and then also the seats of power, et cetera, et cetera, I'd love to get your thoughts on you know, what, what do you predict for the future? David, coming to you first, if you would. I think that we are at a precipice right now. I think we're at a very delicate state where a lot of the attraction, a lot of the power, a lot of the rights that have been gained, um, especially for when we look at women in the workplace, are potentially being compromised right now by especially what we saw in the pandemic and how many women have left the workforce, not by choice. To me, I see the future as if we do not have more white men serving as not just allies, but co-conspirators, which really means the difference of just showing up when it's convenient versus showing up when there's risk involved and actually advocating and leveraging, we are at a potential of really stalling out in the work that's being done around diversity, equity, inclusion, in all spaces, um, and especially in um, the financial sector, especially in any, um, I'll say education as well. Like there are a lot of spaces where it is paramount right now that white men start listening, that white men start showing up, that white men are pushing back because the other side, so to speak, is, is more than happy to start chipping away at all the progress that's been gained. So while I would like to tie it up in a bow and say, you know, progress is progress and we're going to keep moving forward, backlash is very common. You know, pendulums swing very hard. Um, and so my biggest concern here is that it's going to take people who have something to lose, such as white men or folks in powerful positions, to really start advocating, showing up, speaking up, and listening if we're going to hold on to a lot of the traction that we've gained in equal rights. Um, so I just, I really want to name that piece in terms of just futures open based on the actions that we are all taking right now. 
Simeon, love to get your thoughts on this as well, if you would. Absolutely. I completely agree, to be honest. I like the word that you used, David, about it, us being on a precipice. Um, to be honest, I'm a bit worried, to be quite frank, because you see, you know, post-pandemic and you have um, certain businesses just effectively forcing employees to go back to work five days a week and when we're thinking about women in the workplace we know that that's disproportionately going going to affect them so I think businesses need to be thinking about you know equal parental leave flexible working childcare costs the gender pay gap things like that and I think ultimately we need to be having those thoughts otherwise we're going to get to a state where the male patriarchy is just going to get entrenched even further and I think as a result we need to be acting intentionally. Similarly, to draw just a slight parallel with climate change as well, we all need to be acting intentionally in order to make change there. And I think it's the same here. Otherwise, you know, we could get to a state where actually we do start going backwards. And given how um, politically polarised the world is right now, you know, it's a real possibility. As we navigate these economically challenging times, we are concerned that possibly DE and I may well fall down the corporate agenda. And I'd love to hear your compelling reasons as we leave the show, if you would see us out, about why this absolutely must remain high. Simeon, coming to you first. It's not just because it's the right thing to do. It's not just because it's good and there's data that shows that you know diversity and inclusion leads to a more successful business. Generally, you know, it needs to remain at the top of the agenda, quite frankly, because you know, human kind of inclination would be for it to slip down the agenda. People will end up prioritizing different things. And without someone being intentional in their actions in terms of trying to reinforce that at all levels of an organization, quite frankly, because we live in a capitalist world, it will fall down the agenda. And therefore it's about making sure that it's, you know, within all of the actions that we do in the training that goes on within an organization. And then it's actually part of the culture ultimately. Without that, I think, you know, similar to what we were saying about women in the workplace, it is something that could fall down the agenda and there could be a sense of inertia there. So we've really got to be intentional and proactive about it. David, same question to you. Uh, Building on Simeon's remarks there, you know, why must this remain high? There's a quote that I really love by the philosopher um, Jiddu Krishnamurti, where he talks about that it is no measure of sanity to be adjusted to a profoundly sick society. Um, And I think that that really speaks to me in the sense of where we are currently at. The status quo is not sustainable. We are not living in a healthy society. We are not living in a society that has compassion, empathy, humanity, and humility at its center. And when it comes to our industries, it it is going to continue to prioritize the wealth and benefit of some at the suffering of others. And if we don't actively push DE&I to the front of that, we are going to continue to see a hierarchical oppressive system. It's been a fantastic conversation. David Goldenkrantz, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you, Julia. It's been a great honour to be here. And Simeon Greaves, thank you so much for your time and all your insights. Thank you, Julia. It's been absolutely fantastic to have the opportunity to have that conversation. And as always, to all our listeners, thank you so much for listening in. You've been listening to Diversity Podcast. See you again very soon.